Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Guy Vaknin. He's a world-renowned chef celebrated for his distinctive and approachable plant-based creations. He grew up in Israel in a kibbutz, and I tried to practice that, so hopefully I pronounced that correctly, (laughs) where he was immersed in agriculture and raising livestock for the community. So together with his wife today, uh, his wife Tally, they've established their signature vegan brand called Beyond Sushi. They've got multiple restaurants around New York City and additional restaurants Willow and Coletta. So, Guy, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So was my was my intro accurate? I'm gonna make- <laughs> yeah about it's uh, it's always ever changing, right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Beyond Sushi was the beginning, and today it evolved to uh, you know a different beast animal, Coletta Willow. I opened another restaurant two weeks ago called Anixie. We run a catering company, uh, an ice cream brand. Oh my goodness! Uh, a bunch, a bunch of other things. Yeah, one. Well, I know. That's yeah. why I know you have a lot going on. That's why I was making yeah. sure that at least what I covered was accurate <laughs> in the yeah. intro. I mean, it's ever changing, right? Yeah. Evolution. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. And I want to begin though your story because I'm really intrigued just about people's backgrounds, and we have such a diverse community here as part of our members of the NSLS. I love the story of you growing up uh, in Israel in this very sort of communal environment because I was researching and of course the the term um kibbutz if I'm not mistaken it, it means gathering is that correct yeah, right that's right that's and right. so my mind went to like you just as this person really taking in all this knowledge as you're working and learning about things so tell me about that experience and how it shaped you to be who you are today so the kibbutz part was it was a part of my life I I didn't not my whole childhood was there so for a fraction of it, I lived in a kibbutz in two of them, one for two years and another one for another two years. Uh, but the kibbutz part is uh, very interesting because it's the only place still in the world where communism, I know it's a bad word. <laughs> it is what it <laughs> in is. Our world, in our world. But, th- but that's where the only place in the world where that concept still exists. So basically... Everybody works as hard as they can for the community. Everybody eats together in the same, in the same place. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm-hmm. you eat in a, in a hall. It's all free. Everybody gets a budget that they can go in the store and buy things. Your laundry is done in the laundromat that people from the kibbutz work in. You go to school in the kibbutz, in the community. So you would go to school and then you have after school programs that you're there at about 15, you're already working in the fields, pulling carrots Hmm. and working uh, with livestock and so on. It's a really cool system. Great for kids. It's kind of failing lately. (laughs) And a lot of them are breaking up. But it's, um, it was very interesting. And it brought a lot of good uh, observation of how life could be and how a community could run and what working for the next person means, you know, and not just working for yourself. Yeah. Basically. 
Yeah, I know. I mean, it's funny, the term communism, when we when we use it, we definitely have this one distinct idea about what that means. You know, we think of like the Cold War with Russia and this sort of cold, icy environment. But you described more of something that was almost like a communal environment where everyone looked out for each other. Yeah. And I, and I think that it, back in the day when everything was extremely simple and uh, and it, it worked for Israel because it was a growing country and they those little communities formed around them. Uh, even bigger communities. It's not working today, though. <laughs> All communist uh, ideas at the end, human nature, uh, unfortunately, breaks the utopia of what it could be. But it is what it is. Uh, but it was a great experience. As a kid, I mean, it was the best experience you could have because you're always around other kids. You grew up together. You know, it's, uh, it's life-changing mm -hmm. in my mind. Yeah. And you learn the value of work. You wake up at five o'clock in the morning and you go to the fields, you know, it's, uh, it's important, I think. Mm. And then I know you also spent time in the military as well. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, I grew up, my mom and my dad split when I was young and he came over here. That's how I ended up here, by the way. Uh, but I grew up with my mom and then we went to the kibbutz and we lived in a small town, probably like 20,000 people at the uh, south of Israel, mm. uh, right by Gaza actually, which was uh, a weird thing because I had to serve in Gaza afterwards. I was an infantry. It's right close to home, so it's a little bit different than, you know, serving in other armies where you're shipped out to other countries. This was like, you know, a little bit different, complicated situation. I try not to, uh, not to get into it too much, but I, uh, I served in infantry for three and a half years, went through the whole process, two and a half years in, uh, in Gaza Strip all over. Uh, right before there was the pullout out of Gaza. So 2002 to 2005, two weeks later, New York City. Mm. <laughs> that's, wow. the, that's how it happened. That's the evolution. Well, I mean, I recall during that time, the Gaza Strip, that whole, that like the conflict going on, and that was very- It was on fire. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really terrible to see. So um, I'm happy that you did survive that and that you were able to continue to share your gifts with the world, sir. And how did that, you know, for, for well, I, I asked you this question because I had um, Chef Robert Irvine on to maybe three weeks ago. And a part of his story, too, that was really anchored him in his life was his military experience. So I am going to ask you as well, I mean, what impact did that have on you today as an entrepreneur or did it at all? Oh, 100% touch in every aspect of my life. I mean, I was, uh, as much as I worked in, in the kibbutz and as much as I valued work and I saw my mom working really hard and, you know, single mom trying to raise two of us, uh, a 24 year old, you know, I still was a mommy's boy and she always took care of me. And then when you go into the army, it puts life and pain and suffering and in a different perspective, you learn how to suffer through things and overcome things that you would never imagine possible. And it shapes, it shapes a lot going forward. I always give that example. They made us go 80 miles on a trek with 40 kilos on our back. Mm. Not because we were going to do it in the army afterwards. A lot of it is like a mental training, right? So you do that and then everything else seems, you know, simple. Seems like, hey, I overcome this. I can do this, you know? So it definitely shaped everything. And in terms of the kitchen, commanding in the army, I had uh, at one point, 100 soldiers under me 
So commanding in the army, commanding under fire, commanding under pressure, making decisions that are a lot more substantial than, you know, is my food going to come out on time or, you know, but it's still, it's like getting things thrown at you from all angles at all times. And you have to stay calm and make sure that you, uh, that you uh, are making the right decisions and under fire. It definitely helped start my career. Yeah. Yeah, I know he he has a similar story as well, too. And he said it just sort of prepared him for, I mean, you know, if he can make it through that, then he can definitely handle like a fire in the kitchen, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah. you know, so that's very cool. It is. It is that. Tickets coming at you is just like bullets coming at you. <laughs> right, Same right. Same thing. Well, you know, it's really um, an interesting to, uh, interesting thing, too, because your journey has just been so full of very different nuances. And so I know that you have this sort of, not sort of, but you have a passion for this notion that, uh, you know, you can start from nothing and achieve your dreams because you've done it. So I am curious to know, like, what are some of the important lessons along the way that you learned while you were from point A with nothing to where you are? Yeah. So beyond Honest, you literally started from, from scratch. So we were me and another guy and the first restaurant was, it wasn't even a restaurant. It was a hole in the wall, 12 seats, uh, a counter. So I kind of have a Cinderella story, but I believe from the get go that the promise of, of this country is real. You know, you want to put in, you, you want, you need to put in the work. Uh, you need to learn. And as long as you're driven enough and as long as you are disciplined enough, uh, you'll make it. I saw my dad make it. He had also restaurants beforehand. I saw him go from being a police officer in Israel, coming, immigrating to this country, building a good life for himself, doing a lot of work. But we butted heads, so I went on my own way. But I saw that there is a there is that possibility. And as long as you worked and you really worked to learn, because I had I, I had a platform working at my dad's, but I never worked under a chef. I've never, never worked under somebody that taught me, okay, this is what you're supposed to do or that way you're supposed to do. It was all trial and error. And, and I believe that's the best way to keep your imagination working and vibrant. As long as you keep on trying, failing and not quitting and just making another step and another step. I learned very early. The key was to aim low. <laughs> I know everybody says like, oh, that's hey, interesting. Mike. Yeah. Right. Right. So wait, so is that because oh, if you, if you aim a little lower, it's something that's more attainable that you can actually accomplish. Right. And then that's one goal. Then you just kind of then raise up the ante. I mean, my, my vision is, my vision is big. Okay. So I see far, but I don't, I try not to, not for me and not for my team. I don't try to extend into a place or have over expectations. Mm. I want to have an expectation above what the capability is right now, but learn how to aim low and raising the ante brick by brick. Okay. And be patient. I mean, it's been 12 years since the first one and you have to be patient. You can't expect people or even yourself to know the things that you need to know in 12 years from now. You got to know the things that you need to know now raise the ante a little bit and raise it up a little bit and bring everybody up with you as you go or raise the standards. But you can't, I saw so many people go and try to do a three Michelin star right off the bat. No, you can't. You got to build up for it. You got to build up your business. You got to build up your knowledge. It takes time. Yeah. And, and patience is, is, is my, uh, 
you know, my demon, but I try to contain it. <laughs> I mean, it, that goes across any industry, right? People yep. nowadays, especially, I think, want things fast and quick. And um, I have a dear friend who was a, a winner of Chopped actually a few years ago. Okay. And he has he opened up his first restaurant in New York City, which, of course, as you know, one of the most difficult places ever. It was a success off the bat, still doing well. He's got like three other restaurants in different areas around you know, Connecticut, New York. I watched restaurants open and close within days. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, I, I saw the construction happening in the West Village where his restaurant was, and I saw all the money being put into the facade, the tables, the this, the that, and then it opens these restaurants. They opened everything around him. I was just watching and they would be closed in like a week or two weeks. And I could not imagine why or how so many restaurants fail so quickly. I mean, do you have a theory on that or why that happened so easily? I do. I mean, I, 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 I've closed restaurants. Don't get me wrong. I, I've closed them not because of, I closed because of COVID. I closed because I was changing the model. I closed, uh, not because they couldn't survive or I closed because of lean, uh, lease ending and stuff. Like the biggest fault that we have as chefs, we are very, very passionate about what we do. We're very, uh, we try to be creative. And sometimes the creativity are the, is detached from reality or from numbers. One of the things that I had going for me early is I, I was always good with numbers. I'm the CFO for the company as well. So I run all the numbers in the company. I make the decisions where the funds go. We self-fund all our restaurants. So I don't have money coming from outside. I don't owe anybody nice. anything. It's, nice. it's a buildup of my team building and you know, and growing the company. But that detachment that chefs have is, I believe, the fault in all of these. I got lucky. I can do the management part. I can do the finance part. And I can do the, the cooking part, which I'm more passionate about. But numbers are extremely important. And at one point, four years into this uh, journey, I told my wife, listen, I... You won't see me for the next three weeks. I locked myself in the in the office and I learned how to do QuickBooks and I learned how to balance mm. everything. And I learned how to, I knew the numbers, but I, I needed to know the programs from the back end because I had problems with people that were sitting at this, at this position. And today I don't do all of it, but I can still manage it. And I can still see those numbers and translate them into what's going on in the business. So mm. I can see the numbers. It's enough for me to know if, bar is not running well, or if there's overstock of something, or if there's, and as long as you're savvy with that, you should have a better chance of surviving New York. New York is not easy, not for sure. No, no, not at all. And um, you raise a couple of points there that I think there's a two-pronged situation there. One is you can go and learn things to better arm yourself as an entrepreneur. Like you said, you know, you went and learned and all that. But there are some people like me, terrified of math. Like I look at a math equation and I get like, I start like, I break out in high. Oh, sure. When, when I see numbers, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but, but, but the point is in those situations, when it comes to leadership, especially be smart enough then to hire someone trustworthy, who's skilled to do that for you. But um, I agree. I don't do all of it. Right. At the end of the day, I don't do all of it. I don't believe that you need to do everything. Uh, we are 180 people in the company. It's not a small company. I mean, I have a corporate team that does what they're supposed to do. And the only time that I made the leap of growth 
that I made is when I let other people do what they are supposed to do in the company so we can grow. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But with all that being said, I want to be savvy enough so the men next to me, I can audit them, right? So I can see that they're actually doing their job or have somebody there next to me that can do that as well. I mean, I trust people, but you need to be able to be savvy enough as a CEO of the company. You need to be savvy enough that, okay, uh, social media content creation person is doing what they're supposed to do. I don't like Instagram, but I have right. to learn. You know, <laughs> right. I have to learn what, what's going on in it. I mean, I, I got to see the progress. Uh, you're shelling a lot of money, a lot of funds towards those things. You got to see that you're getting the reward that you're supposed to get for it. And then there's also like when it comes to businesses, there's the immediate ROI that, you know, we want to see right away. And then, of course, something like social media, it's it's a bit of an elusive place, right? It's just sort of like all of it. Yeah, you don't even know like what the outcome is supposed to be. Maybe people just know you more. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, no, but but all of it, all of it. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not it's a a, only social media. It's it's the team, it's a corporate team. All of that is an investment, and I'm not going to see the return until I get to a certain point. The goal is yes. to get to a certain point. The return comes when those positions, uh, in my business at least, uh, are positions that are managing and. Now we have six restaurants and a catering company. The idea, my three-year plan is through 2025 to add another three units. And then you get to a certain number where that one director of operation is running the operation. That one content creator is creating the content. And then, and then you become profitable. So it's all an yeah. investment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Again, another funny similarity with, with Chef Robert Irvine, something very similar, because I didn't know how much it really would cost to run a restaurant. You know, I mean, I know it's like different things, but, but I mean, as far as like the, the boxes, you should definitely check to make sure you have those things um, accessible. Like what happens if your freezer breaks? What happens if, when you're, you know, what backups do you have? Uh, you know, the, the overhead cost, your product cost. I mean, all these things that people often don't think of. So he said he, his analogy was um, you ask somebody why they opened a restaurant. And they're like, oh, my mom loved my meatballs. Okay. <laughs> anything, anything else? And then, you know, it's, and it's closed like in three days, right? You know, because so that's pretty much you, you got to be a nutcase to open a restaurant. That, that, if the first <laughs> one, the first one is pure passion. It's not a business. You're not making money. You're, you're slaving yourself to something that you that you love to do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then it becomes a business later on. Uh, if you grow, but just one, there's no way, like, it doesn't matter how busy you are, how, like, you have to have your son, your daughter, your uncle, and everybody working there and you're <laughs> slaving them for no, no pay. Yeah. Know? Yeah. They're just getting food, which is, which I've done. I've done with my restaurant friends. I will work for food, but you know, you also in that same vein, you know, in that same token there, you talk about why the struggle is important. The struggle is important to success. So share your thoughts on that. I, I do it to my team. I do it to myself more than anybody else. I think that if I don't go through tough times and I never, like, it's always tough. Like, okay, it becomes, it calm down. Okay, now let's do a new menu. Oh, it calm down. Let's open a new restaurant. Okay. And at least once a year, we open a restaurant. Uh, that's since I opened this business. The reasoning for that is more... 
And I, I discovered this while the pandemic happened. I mean, I always had this feeling in my stomach that all of it can disappear, right? One day something happens, all of it can disappear. And then the pandemic happened and it almost did. Right? It yeah, almost and it did for a lot of people. Yeah. It did. It did. For a lot of people, I had to make crazy moves to stay in business. We went from 120 employees to six. Today we're bigger and stronger, but it's, it, I, there were certain things that I had to do, right? Yeah. But I believe that through those struggles, releasing the, the fear, right? Releasing the fear, even though I had seven restaurants and I was doing well, I was still always afraid. So as soon as I released that fear, as soon as I let it go, Willow came to life. And that took us to another level. And then Coletta came to life. And that took us to another level. And the whole catering thing came to life. And that took us to another level. And I pushed myself and I pushed the team to endure struggles and endure. But that's the only way you grow. I mean, there is like that you, 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 it's like, it's like a muscle, right? Yeah. You have that analogy and, uh, and, uh, you putting pressure on a muscle in the gym, it grows. It's the same with us. It's the same with the business. It's the same. And without it, if we get comfortable or if we don't grow, I think we, de we die, right? Mm. That's, that's the analogy in my head, at least. Yeah. And I think you're right. The lessons get learned along the way. So the struggles, the mistakes, the failures, that's where your education comes from. The systems so that, that are built from it, like the way that things are run. These are the things that, that, that the, the whole construct of this company is built on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, on the more creative cooking side of things, and this is what I want to know. I always try and use this platform as an opportunity to educate. Now, of course, someone can easily Google this, but I want to ask you as, a, as an expert, what does it mean to eat vegan? Like, what is vegan? Because I get mixed up with vegetarian or pescatarian or, you know, so what is veganism exactly? It's very simple. Anything that has any animal product in it that disqualifies from being vegan. So from honey to milk to, uh, of course, meat products, fish products, if you destroy the ecosystem uh, for any animal in the process of making your food, you are, uh, you're, it's so even vegan. honey, you say? So, Extracting honey is also not vegan? Yeah. Because you've taken it from the... Exactly. So for some people it is, and for some people it's not. And, and again, it's all like whatever you decide for yourself, right? Uh, but if you're looking at it in a pure sense, that's what it is. I was not vegan before I opened my restaurants, which is a weird like way in getting into this world. I was very ignorant about it. Uh, I was a regular chef, but... We, me and Tali, uh, she was vegetarian, so I created that, all those items in our catering company in my dad's place, and then we tried it out, and it was great, and we decided to open a restaurant. And even the first restaurant wasn't vegan. It took me three weeks after, and a lot of people pounding on my head, you got to make it vegan, you got to make it vegan, to make it vegan. And it took me six months after to try a vegan diet, and since then I've been there. But I never, I, I believe that people eat from the memory and remember certain foods and they want to have them. So today we take it to the extreme. I have steak kebabs and chicken kebabs and lamb kebabs and lamb cigars and uh, cheeses and pizzas with mozzarella on it. 
but it's all, all vegan. vegan. Wow. I'd... Yeah. The idea is that, yeah, that, that, that's the idea that you will come to my restaurant, eat, have a great meal, not even know, or not even notice or not care because it's great because it's good food. That's all. Guy Vaknin, world-renowned celebrated chef and founder of Beyond Sushi, thanks for being here today with us on Motivational Mondays. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.